Thanks for watching NTD Business. Coming up, a wave of Twitter employees are leaving because they're unwilling to become what Elon Musk calls extremely hardcore. Some users wonder if this could be the death of Twitter. We talked to lawmaker and crypto expert Warren Davidson on the FTX crypto collapse. He wants to know, why is the founder still walking free? The state of Massachusetts allegedly worked with Google to auto-install COVID spyware onto a million phones. The state is now being sued. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Happy Friday. Paul Graney here. A wave of Twitter employees are leaving the company because it seems they don't want to be what Elon Musk calls extremely hardcore. The Twitter CEO sent a company-wide email telling employees to quit if they don't want to work long hours at high intensity. They had one day to respond. Nobody knows exactly how many have left, but on one smartphone app called Blind, where verified Twitter employees can chat anonymously, there was a poll. And out of 167 employees, the vast majority said they were leaving. Only a small minority, 21%, said they were staying. After the apparent wave of resignations, Twitter closed its office buildings for the rest of the week. It was Friday. Many Twitter users even wondered if Twitter could be about to die grim. But Musk says he isn't super worried. He tweeted that the best people are staying. And he said a record number of users are now logging into the site to see if Twitter is in fact dead. He says, ironically, this is making the platform more alive than ever. Holly Lipman, the founder of recruitment firm Genesis 10, as well as the key broker of the Abraham Accords, says CEOs these days are thought of as motivators. But Musk seems to go back to the old ways of doing things when leaders only cared about the bottom line. This is a huge gamble. And this is going to be studied for a long time in business schools because it goes to the heart of how do you handle taking over a huge company, a Fortune 20 company, that is has an extraordinary, unique brand name, yet is hemorrhaging billions of dollars. Musk previously said that he believes a small number of hardcore people get a lot more done than a large number of only moderately motivated people. Lipman agrees. If you make a military analogy, this is what, you know, the elite reconnaissance unit of the Marine Corps, Delta Force for the Army, Navy SEALs for the Navy. All these elite commando units are, are built on the basis that a smaller group, very highly motivated, will be more effective than a medium-sized group that's maybe average motivated. So I think this, this falls across all different kinds of industries and enterprises. So Lipman says getting rid of ineffective people this way could be a good thing. And CEO of startup accelerator New Chip Andrew Ryan says Twitter's employee culture could be the exact opposite of Musk's culture. People there aren't used to working as hard as Musk does. Twitter's always tried to lead the front of like a San Francisco four-hour work week. Like we're not getting much done because we're such a simple app. And uh, I think it really frustrates engineers like Elon because I'm also an engineer. 
And I look at the simplicity of the software and how it has simple bugs and issues, and even the advertising platform, and it's just so bloated and it's been unprofitable and had issues. There's issues where people are working four hours a week, sometimes four hours a quarter. It's become a joke in Silicon Valley. And most of the VCs and investors and even engineers know Twitter is not a place that you go because you're the best. You go because you have a certain um, you, you care about their mission and you care about what they're trying to do when it's usually very political. It's quite a leap for the twits from a four hour work week to long hours at high intensity. It doesn't sound great. Ryan also says he prefers smaller teams of highly motivated people over large teams of moderately motivated ones. It's another plus for Musk. So if necessary, we will hold a funeral service for Twitter next Monday. So please join us. No flowers, please. Thank you. And on to the FTX crypto scandal. Before its collapse, FTX boasted that it was the most regulated crypto exchange on the planet. It also invited closer scrutiny from authorities. But a new report alleges the firm bought its way into regulation in order to get cozy with the regulators. Reuters says company documents reveal founder Sam Bankman-Fried's regulatory strategy. Says his plan was to buy stakes in companies that already had licenses. That could cut short the approval process, give him access to lobby regulators, and attract major investors, which he did. Reuters says FTX spent $2 billion on, quote, acquisition for regulatory purposes. According to internal documents, at least, we couldn't verify the documents, though. While courting regulators, SBF was at the same time taking massive risks with customer funds. The exchange reportedly used $10 billion in customer deposits to prop up its crypto trading arm. The exchange collapsed last week. This week, in a text exchange with Vox, Bankman-Fried said all the praise for regulation, though, was just public relations. He's backtracked. He now says regulators make everything worse, and they don't protect customers. Hmm. Congressman Warren Davidson has something to say about the regulators in this case. He's a congressman in Ohio. He sits in the House Financial Services Committee. He's also a cryptocurrency expert, has been for a while. I talked to him today about the FTX collapse. Today we're joined by Congressman Warren Davidson, representing Ohio's 8th District. Davidson sits in the House Financial Services Committee. He's also the founder of the Sound Money Caucus. Congressman, it's always good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, always an honor. Thank you. Oh, and congratulations on securing another two years. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an honor. Thanks to the good people of Southwest Ohio for giving me another shot. Congressman, let's start with FTX, the bankrupt crypto exchange. I know you're familiar with this space. We see the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, is heavily aligned with Democrats, it seems. How do you see this situation and how do you see it playing out? Well, I think the political donations are an interesting side story. I mean, he, he's given to, you know, overwhelmingly to Democrats. He's given to some Republicans. But frankly, some of the other people in FTX have given to Republicans primarily. So when you look at what's going on with, um, with FTX, I think the bigger story is, why is this happening? And, you know, one narrative is for sure, this looks like fraud. I mean, if you saw the Wall Street Journal article uh, from the acting CEO, came in after having restructured Enron and a whole career of bankruptcy restructuring, saying, I've never seen anything this bad. It's, you know, just unbelievable, the lack of controls, poor governance, uh, backdoors created in software to bypass uh, accounting controls. Um, those look a lot like the narrative of fraud. 
And you know, normally you would see somebody arrested pretty quickly with this kind of fact pattern. Uh, so you know, the question is, why hasn't Sam uh, been detained by American authorities? And of course, he was initially in the Bahamas. Uh, last I heard, that's where he was. Um, and that's where FTX International is headquartered. So this whole thing started unwinding uh, with the international piece. And of course, he had tweeted about uh, FTX uh, US being firewalled and safe. Uh, and obviously, that turned out not to be the case. So a lot of people are getting hurt badly by this. Um, and you know, fraud is hard to detect up front. Uh, but with the close collaboration that's been going on with FTX, and the Securities and Exchange Commission. People are saying, how could the SEC be doing all that and not know? Uh, and so, you know, I think this is going to be a really interesting thing. The Financial Services Committee has announced that we're going to do a hearing in December. So I look forward to that hearing. I think the timing of this has been important and interesting to note as well. It was right after the midterm elections. We know that Sam Bankman Fried, the founder of FTX, was the Democrats' second largest donor. Now, like you mentioned, he did donate to some Republicans, perhaps uh, Lisa Murkowski, um, uh, Mr. Spence Sass, um, I believe uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Republicans like this. But the majority of the money went to, to Democrats. Are we perhaps, you know, obliged to ask the question that the SEC was facilitating FTX doing this for a certain amount of period, turning the, the other cheek or, or, you know, burying their head in the sand to facilitate these donations going to the Democrats in the run-up to the midterms? Is this a legitimate question, or is this too circumstantial at the moment? Well, look, I, I think that those donations may explain why uh, SPF is not in custody somewhere. I don't know. I'd like to think that's not an explanation, but I think people are always going to suspect it unless he's actually in custody, because people think that normally uh, gosh, if you bounced, if you bounced uh, $10,000 worth of checks, you'd probably get a visit. Uh, you, 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 you crash $10 billion worth of other people's money. Uh, it seems like somebody would be visiting you. Uh, you know, we, we, we had, uh, you know, a very assertive FBI doing all kinds of things to uh, American citizens for things that most people say are, you know, nowhere near as serious. And so the, the treatment looks like it's a two-tiered justice system to a lot of people. And so, you know, I think that's a, that's a real problem. But I think the broader issue isn't the campaign donations. Um, the broader issue isn't the way that, you know, Ukraine invested some of the money, apparently, that, that the United States and others around the world uh, did in crypto and used FTX as part of the platform for that. Uh, that's something that we should get scrutiny on. The bigger issue with Ukraine isn't just FTX, it's that we don't have uh, an inspector general overseeing the tens of billions of dollars the American people have given to Ukraine. Uh, so, you know, we tried, Republicans tried to offer that amendment and weren't able to even offer the amendment with the bills that Democrats put on the floor in the House and Senate. So um, the idea that we couldn't get that done should tell you something's up. Why wouldn't you want an inspector general overseeing tens of billions of dollars going to any country but certainly a country with the record of uh, historical corruption that Ukraine has had. It's been an interesting two years. Congressman Warren Davidson of Ohio, appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes will soon learn if she is going to prison. She's set to be sentenced in a San Jose, California court today. Holmes, of course, convicted of defrauding investors earlier this year, now faces up to 20 years in prison. 
She was once hailed as a tech industry icon for her company's promises to test a range of medical conditions with just a few drops of blood. Raising nearly a billion dollars from investors, she's now the rare tech founder to be convicted and face prison time for her company's missteps. More than 100 people, though, wrote letters in support of Holmes to the court asking for leniency in her sentencing. Her ex-boyfriend and former Theranos COO was found guilty earlier this year on 12 fraud-related charges. He's set to be sentenced in December 11th. And was COVID spyware installed on your phone without you knowing it? A lawsuit accuses the state of Massachusetts of working with Google to install the surveillance app on users' phones. Anthony Don Ma is more. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health is facing a class action lawsuit. It was filed by the new Civil Liberties Alliance, or NCLA. It alleges that the department works with Google to install a COVID surveillance app onto Android phones. The app is called COVID Exposure Settings, which is a COVID-19 contact tracing software. It was allegedly automatically installed onto the phones of some 1 million Android users without their consent. Once installed, the app didn't appear on the device's home screen, as newly installed apps typically do. Instead, it could only be found in the phone's settings app. This meant that many device users were unaware of its presence. So what does the app do? We spoke with the lead attorney of the lawsuit, Shang Li. What the app is supposed to do is, what, what, it, what it does is turns on your, your, um, your Bluetooth so that when you're walking around, your Bluetooth is sending out signals all the time and it's interacting with other Bluetooths, uh, whether it's other people's phones, and creates a record of those interactions so that you can say, at 2 p.m., this particular phone was within 10 feet of this other particular phone. And, and what's supposed to happen is then, if you, if you do report getting COVID, you can say, I got COVID, and, it'll, and then the, the app will look through your records and say, ah, you were within 10 feet of these 100 people in the last week. But the problem is that the same record that allows this exposure notification to be sent out is also a record of everyone that you've been in close contact with and a record of everywhere you've been. And this record could be accessed, for example, by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, Google application developers, device manufacturers, network providers, and other third parties. The lawsuit says that, quote, in sum, the Department of Health installed spyware that deliberately tracks and records movement and personal contacts onto over a million mobile devices without their owner's permission and awareness. When they turn their Bluetooth off, the app triggers and, and turns their Bluetooth on. Uh, even when they delete it, it, uh, it comes back on their phone. Uh, one woman, uh, using a pseudonym, complained that even though she had, you know, a, a software on her child's phone, her daughter's phone, that blocks the child from downloading unwanted apps, she still found the device, you know, the, the app on her child's phone. The lawsuit says that the app was made available in April 2021, but few Massachusetts residents voluntarily installed it. To increase adoption, the department worked with Google to secretly install the contact tracing app. Don Mott, NTD News. Shocking if true. And the Biden administration is asking the nation's highest court to allow its controversial student loan debt relief program to go into effect. That's where legal challenges play out. The program is currently on hold after lower courts blocked it in early November. The Department of Justice, though, is appealing, and in the meantime, 
Officials there want the Supreme Court to let the program move forward anyway. The program aims to deliver up to $20,000 of debt relief for millions of borrowers. So far, about 26 million people have applied to the program. No word yet from the Supreme Court on the request. Meanwhile, payments on federal student loans are set to resume in January after a years-long pause during the pandemic. And on Wall Street, stocks ended the week a little higher, you'd be happy to hear. The Dow added 199.6 tenths of percent, S&P rose to 19 points or half a percent, and the Nasdaq gained one point, kind of unchanged today. General Motors says it expects electric vehicles to finally turn a profit in North America by 2025. GM is now boosting battery and assembly plant capacity, aiming to build over 1 million EVs per year. It wants to surpass Elon Musk's Tesla by the middle of the decade and sell only electric passenger vehicles by 2035. CEO Mary Barra said yet there yesterday their EV portfolio appeals to a broader range of customers, including a $30,000 small SUV, luxury SUV, pickup trucks, and Hummer SUVs. It's all within the next two years. GM shares rose today 3% on the news. And over in Europe... The giant gas leaks in the Nord Stream gas pipelines were definitely caused by sabotage, according to Swedish investigators. The rupture in late September spewed vast quantities of gas into the atmosphere. Around 160 feet of one pipeline is said to be missing. Today, a Swedish prosecutor said traces of explosives had been found. Swedish officials say they now see if they can identify who did it. Russia said it would wait for a full assessment before deciding whether to make repairs. Nord Stream had been the main route for transporting gas to markets in Western Europe. We'll take a quick break, but if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. Taylor Swift responded Ticketmaster fiasco where fans were unable to buy tickets for hours. What does she have to say? And some big news for those suffering from type 1 diabetes. The FDA approves the first ever therapy to delay the disease. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. back. And some breaking news we learned during the commercial break that Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes was sentenced to 11 years in prison. More details coming. And Taylor Swift has broken her silence about the Ticketmaster ticketing debacle that took place this week. More than 2 million tickets were sold for Swift's upcoming Eras tour, but many fans took to social media to complain that they were unable to purchase the tickets after spending hours trying to do so. Ticketmaster customers complained about both the website and app not loading, saying the platform didn't allow them to access the tickets, even with a pre-sale code. 
On Thursday, Ticketmaster announced that the sale to the general public schedule for Friday had been cancelled due to insufficient remaining ticket inventory to meet demand. Popular lady. On Instagram Friday, Swift spoke out and appeared to blame Ticketmaster for the fiasco, saying there were a multitude of reasons why people had such a hard time getting tickets and how it's excruciating for her to, quote, watch mistakes happen with no recourse. Swift added that she would try to figure out how this situation can be improved moving forward. <laughs> the problem caught some lawmakers' attention, too. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar has said Congress will hold a hearing on Ticketmaster. Must be a Swift fan. Besides the Taylor Swift ticket sale fiasco, they also want to look into long-running issues like hidden fees. No date has been set yet. And a fantasy about the land of dreams and a documentary in the world's most famous mouse are both new to streaming this weekend. Here's details on what's to come from Hollywood. Welcome to my world, kid. Slumberland, the world of dreams. Jason Momoa and Marlo Barkley travel through dreams in Slumberland. The role was a welcome departure for the Aquaman and Sea stars. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I, I've been trying to tell people for years that I laugh and smile and... That can be funny at, at times. <laughs> and it's here. <laughs> and you liked it. Um, Slumberland debuts today on Netflix. Three simple circles, a quarter and two dimes, probably the most universal symbol ever created by man or mouse. Hi, the documentary, Mickey, the Story of a Mouse, is a deep dive into the nearly 100-year history of the iconic cartoon figure, from the evolution of his design and personality to the off-brand versions of Mickey Mouse created through the decades. Director Jeff Malmberg says wherever people encounter the character, their reaction is almost always the same. I'm a firm believer that Mickey is as close to joy as we're ever going to get as a symbol. And I love that I don't know you, but you and I share that symbol. And it's a shorthand to a smile. I think the world's just a little better with that, and I will take that. Mickey, the story of a mouse, debuts where else on Disney Plus today, Mickey's 94th birthday. And soccer fans are not happy. World Cup organizers in Qatar are banning alcohol sales at soccer stadiums. They announced the alcohol ban today, just two days before the World Cup kicks off. The Muslim country tightly regulates alcohol sales and usage. The ban is a U-turn, though, from earlier guidance. In September, Qatar said it would allow fans to buy alcohol before and after matches, but not during them. Not a bad deal. Fans will still be able to buy non-alcoholic beer at stadiums. Could be awkward, though, for top sponsor Budweiser. It paid $75 million for the sponsorships, according to the New York Times. Budweiser told ABC some of its planned stadium activations cannot move forward due to circumstances beyond its control. The World Cup will run from November 20th until December 20th. And big news today in the fight against type 1 diabetes. A new therapy to delay the onset of the disease has been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. More on the therapy and how it may help patients.
It's being called an historic moment for those suffering from type 1 diabetes. The first ever therapy to delay the disease is now FDA approved for patients. We've never had any treatment to do that, uh, despite testing many, many different things that have all not worked. Type 1 diabetes is a genetic disease where a person's pancreas doesn't make insulin or won't make enough. The new monoclonal antibody will be marketed under the brand name Zealed. It comes in a single 14-day dose of infusions that each lasts 30 to 60 minutes. On average, the, the delay of development of type 1 was two years, but there were those that went longer than that. And as we get more and more data, this may prevent the development even longer than two years, which is really exciting. The therapy is thought to work by turning down the body's misdirected attack on its own insulin-producing cells, protecting those cells made by patients more time before they become dependent on insulin to manage their condition. Imagine, you know, a nine-year-old kid with diabetes that has to have their finger pricked multiple times a day and receive multiple insulin injections. Sometimes their parents chasing them around to do this and now think of not having to do that for two whole years. And this therapy is thought to be just the beginning in the fight against type 1 diabetes. The most common side effects reported in the trial participants were low white blood and lymph cells, rash and headache. The drug is made by biopharma company Prevention Bio. It's going to cost almost $14,000 a vial. A 14-day regimen would then translate to nearly $200,000. That's the latest with Entity Business Team and myself, Paul Graney. You can follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And please, if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.